Welcome to episode seven of After the Breach, a podcast by whale enthusiasts for whale enthusiasts. We're your hosts, Jeff Friedman and Sarah Shimazu, recording from Friday Harbor, San Juan Island, Washington. We'll start this episode with our most recent sightings from here in the Salish Sea, and we have some interesting things to cover. We're also going to talk about whale watching in other parts of the world. The Silver Bank, the breeding and calving waters for North Atlantic humpback whales. We'll be joined by Gene Flipsy, owner and operator of Conscious Breath Adventures, to talk about the North Atlantic humpbacks and the special in-water encounters in the Marine Mammal Sanctuary of the Dominican Republic. Thanks for joining us, and we hope you enjoy this episode. Hi, Sarah. Hey, Jeff. Uh, Before we jump into uh, some really cool recent sightings here, just wanted to remind everybody, uh, if you're enjoying these podcasts, to leave us a review on iTunes or uh, contact us on Instagram or follow us and subscribe wherever you are listening. Uh, You can also contact us through our website, afterthebreachpodcast.com. Yeah, and we've actually had some listeners join us on board lately. Um, I know I've had at least a handful of people that have been like, yeah, we came out because we heard you guys on After the Breach Podcast, and that's pretty cool. Yeah, it's a, it is great to meet people on on the boats uh, that we're running with Maya's Legacy Whale Watching and, and going out on our tours with people that... Uh, that listen listen to the podcast so thank you for that yeah and we we do still have tours going out jeff like what well through the end of the year so if you guys are thinking of coming up to san juan island um definitely feel free to jump out with us and not to give myself a little uh promo here but uh we do have a photo workshop uh now this month it's september 1st so um in just a couple of weeks here We're doing a photo workshop on the 16th and 17th, and we still have a few seats left um, both days. So if anybody's interested in coming up for that full day on the water, Jeff and myself will probably be on board then, and uh, we'd love to have you. Yeah, and you can can reach out to us uh, Instagram at After the Breach or contact us through our website, afterthebreachpodcast.com, if you're interested in the photo workshop or coming out with us uh, at any time on a tour. So on that note, it has been really epic here lately. We have had lots of big killer whales in the area, uh, the marine mammal-eating killer whales. If you if you listen to uh, episode six, that is the real definition of that population, the marine mammal eaters. And uh, one day this past week, we had 11 different groups in the Salish Sea with over 50. Uh, yeah, what was it? Something like 54, I think, 50, is yeah. the final count. Which is not a record. We've had days with more than that, but it was, I was out on the water and it was one of those days where like the entire first half of the, of the day, new groups just kept popping up and, and, and being found. And it was, uh, it was really, really cool. And, uh, I can't remember the last day we haven't seen, seen killer whales. Uh, it's, it's been, uh, it's been weeks. Oh, don't jinx us. Don't jinx us, Jeff. <laughs> well, we've had some very interesting, and this this will go back to episode six when we talked about the culture of the Biggs killer whales and how their social norms and social dynamics are so interesting and unique and how they travel not just in matrilines, but how we'll see parts of matrilines and we'll see some of the whales dispersing. And one of the groups that we've seen... Uh, on multiple occasions over the last few weeks, um, and they've really kind of won a special place in my heart, are the uh, 124A2s and A4s. Uh, two, uh, it's a very young family. It's two sisters who have d- dispersed from mom and are traveling with 
each of them with their kids and traveling together. And uh, I don't know if Sarah, you want to kind of give some background on on the 124As and talk about A2 and A4 and yeah. and, and how they're dispersed together now. Yeah, and we we I think we kind of touched on it last episode about it and probably even beforehand because we talked about this like amazing encounter of whales going through Jorgensen Pass and um, one of the families involved in that was uh, T124A4 who's the younger sister in this duo that Jeff is talking about. She's what 12 years old? Uh, yep, yep, born in 2010, and she just had her first calf last year. So uh, really exciting to see kind of a new new mom coming up. Um, and she, you know, had been with her mom, you know, since her calf was born. And um, her mom actually had a calf just a few months, handful of months after her. So uh, her, what, seventh, seventh offspring, crazy. Um, and we saw it just a, gosh, now it's probably been two months or so since we had that Jorgensen Pass encounter. Um, I think early June, so three months, gosh, time flies. Um, but three months or so that T124A4 split and we actually saw them all together, uh, one day. And then I think it was just a couple of days later when T124A4 had split off from her mom and, and siblings, which is something they do when they start having their own offspring, they do leave mom. Uh, you know, we see them getting back together, but they do go off to raise their kids on their own. Right, and sometimes it's like they will leave for a couple of days and then they get back together with their mom and then maybe a little while later they'll leave for a little bit longer. Um, she just kind of split off and she uh, joined up with the, you know, the, an unrelated family group, at least to our knowledge, the T86As. Um, but uh, in most recent encounters in the last few weeks has been with her older sister, T124A2, um, who was born in 2001. So she's 21, um, has two calves of her own, and has been split off, you know, for, gosh, at, at least four years now from mom and kind of knows the drill as far as being dispersed and being this, you know, head of her head of her family. Yeah, and I think that's really kind of what has fascinated me is that she's off, uh, 124A4 is off being a very young new mom on her own and has hooked up with her older sister and... Um, and is learning how to be a mom out there away from her mom, but is, is hanging out with her older, older sister. And it's, it's, it's a really, it's a really nice group to see. It's, it's all young whales. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's been cool to see them too, as they've been kind of navigating through these inland waters and here for a little while. And then, you know, not being seen whether they're here or not here. Um, and then kind of showing up with some new, some new, not new whales, but some different whales, um, you know, in the mix as well. And I think most recently that was T19 and, and T19B, who are a couple of our fan favorites. They are the OGs. <laughs> <laughs> there might be some argument on that, but they're pretty cool. They are very cool. So that's the other real interesting story that of what's been going on here is we've been seeing 19, T19, who's 57 years old, and her 27-year-old son, uh, T19B, and we've been seeing them, and they are normally traveling with T with T nineteen C, who is also a, the, an offspring. I think he's twenty one years old. Yep, twenty one. Twenty one year old son of T nineteen, and T eighteen, who is thought to be T 19s mom. Uh, so we have we have grandma, mom, and her two sons mm-hmm. normally travel together. In my eight years here, I've never seen them apart. 
Um, although we do see them traveling kind of two and two, uh, spread out sometimes over miles, over but miles, never, but never apart, 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 apart. Yeah. And so it's, it's always been the four of them. And all of a sudden we see T19 and 19B. So we have mom and one of her sons and, I think for the first few days that they were spotted, people just assumed, well, they must not be seeing the other two, but they're there. And yeah, yeah, because it started up north. I mean, they were seen off like Telegraph Cove. Right, um, a few hundred miles north of here. You know, T-19 and T-19B. And, and I think, you know, people, as we would have down here, just kind of assumed like, oh, the other two are around, but, you know, no one's seen them. And then, you know, as they traveled down here, they spend a lot of time up in southeast Alaska, and uh, they they tend to come down here uh, around early August. And uh, we, I mean, we do see them other months of the year. Uh, we do they do pop in here in the in middle of winter, uh, pretty often, yeah. and in in the spring. But they they seem to be staples in in August down here, and then they show up, and it's just the two of them. And I think there have been no sightings reported of T18 and 19C. And I, I think everybody started to worry a little bit. Yeah. I, I think there was some, some wondering like, uh, you know, did something happen to T18 or, or what? But all of a sudden Monday morning, their spot, they're reported up uh, a couple hundred miles North of here. Yeah. And we had T19 and 19B here. Right. So um, maybe, maybe there was a family squabble. <laughs> maybe like a little feud between T18 and T19, not to like, uh, <laughs> you know, put human emotions on it. But, you know, they're smart social animals and I'm sure they have feuds just like we do. It's it's just, it's very interesting to see, and, and we talked about this in the last episode, how, uh, you know, we, we continue to learn about their fluid social dynamics and social norms. And, and of course, we don't know why there's this split, but we certainly know it's not, uh, it, they're going to come back together at some point. It'll be fun. It, it would be cool to be out on the water to, to be there when they do come back together. Cause usually whales get pretty excited, especially when they reunite with, uh, with other family members. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, it'll be interesting to see if those two show up down here in the next few weeks or when, I think we're all just kind of waiting to see like when, when the family gets back together. Yeah, that it will be interesting. So stay tuned. And, uh, T sixty five A five, who we've talked about on many episodes, he's been he's been popping around. <laughs> he he's he's a little socialite. He uh, we've we've had reports of him out there on days just by himself out there killing seals, and then he seems to join up with pretty much every group that we have down here for short periods of time, and then leaves to either go off on his own or or jump in with other groups. I think I think he uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I think he was seen. Uh, at one point with the 124 A2s and, and 4s. Yeah, he was. Um, we saw him Friday? No, not Friday. Uh, we saw him just recently. Uh, we were out and... Oh, no, it was last Thursday. Sorry, it was David's last trip before he went to the Arctic for his awesome... Um, trips up there and we were with the 19 1919 b off galliano island uh with galliano off galliano and we're heading home and then all of a sudden like hey david spots another whale ahead of us and it turned out to be t65a5 just a few miles ahead of the t19s and what was really interesting to me was like that afternoon we 
kind of got back out on the water and up near East Point. T65A5 was there and T19 and T19B were coming down. Like, talk about meetups. And like, just as they were coming together, T19 and T19B vanished. And then the 37A showed up. Then the 37A showed up. T19 and 19B had like pulled a hard U-turn and like booked it out into the Strait of Georgia. So there was no meetup at that point. Which is interesting. I'm sure you'll remember this a few years ago. The very first time that... T65A dispersed. He we found him with the the T19s. Yeah, yeah. And the first time he, yep, T65A5. Yep. Yeah, we were out there and we're, and we were watching the four uh T T18, T19, 19B and 19C and we we're like, "Wait, there's an extra little whale in there. Who is that?" Yeah, and I think it was in like October um which was kind of like it's it's not a, a month that we expect any of the T65As to be hanging around. Right. Right, but he's in there with these huge. The if if you we'll post pictures in the show notes. The the reason part of the reason that they are such fan favorites, nineteen B and nineteen C are big, big, big adult males. Yeah, we saw it last night. That's right. So we had nineteen <laughs> and nineteen B traveling with. Here's another example of a partial matriline. The forty nine A's minus the two oldest boys, A one and A two. Mm-hmm. And it was a really epic encounter. I I ended up having a, a really incredible tour because we were we were watching the the nineteen and nineteen B and, and part of the forty nine A is traveling uh, in just beautiful late afternoon light. And I decided to leave, and I, I told told our guests that we were going to leave and we were going to come back, but I wanted to show them stellar sea lions um be, to complete the picture of one of to, so that they could see one of the most desire prey items for the big killer whales and stellar sea lions are the largest sea lions on earth they can grow up to 2500 pounds they're huge huge sea lions so we went we left for about a half an hour to go look at the sea lions and then we came back to Find the whales were killing stellar sea lions. <laughs> as, right. As soon as we pulled in, it was like within 30 seconds, bam, the hunt, they were, the hunt was on. And one of the most dynamic and um, what I'll say about watching a, a sea lion hunt is you really see the power mm-hmm. and strength and strategy of killer whales when yeah. they're hunting a, a, a big sea lion. Yeah, you really do. And it, it was, it, to me, it looked, I mean, it was distant, but it looked like a large sea lion. Like it was, it looked full, almost fully grown, if not fully grown to me. And the hunt lasted like, I'd say a good hour and a half. Yeah, it was a long, long, uh, yeah. I mean, we both left. We were running out of daylight. Yeah. We were lucky we were right across the, yeah. from the harbor, but it, it lasted a long time. Um, and it, the, just watching them porpoising out of the water and, uh, breaching and, and trying to throw, throw him in the air and coming down on top of him. And, uh, it, it is a really a high energy, very powerful hunt to watch. And we'll definitely post some, some photos and, and I, I took video. I don't know. I haven't even looked at it yet. Um, but uh, this was just last night. But I know I have if, a Galliano breach shot to share at least. Oh yeah, watching T nineteen B Galliano breach is uh, is is something. Yeah, and I think it's it's 
totally different from the style of hunting a stellar sea lion is so different from seeing them hunt any other prey item that I've seen um, here in the Salish Sea. Like we've seen them on harbor seals quite, quite frequently, harbor porpoise. You know, sometimes they do do those aerial behaviors with harbor porpoise, but it seems to be over pretty quickly. Like they're small, they're small animals. They're fast, but they're small. Right. They're, they're very aerodynamic to watch because oftentimes they will, You'll see the the orcas chasing the harbor porpoise, and they're breaching out of the water, porpoising. Um, and oftentimes they will punt the porpoise in the air, but it's very short lived. Right, it, it, it's over in you know generally in in a minute or two. Yeah, and with the sea lion, like they would have these like high energy aerial behaviors, and more frequently at the start of the hunt, I think, than than towards the end. Um, and then you would see some of the adult, usually the adults, and I think it was like T19 and T49A were kind of the main aggressors at the beginning, um, would like break off and kind of almost circle around where the stellar was. Not not super close, but like catching their breath almost while the kids were in there harassing the sea lion. And then and then they'd all of a sudden come back in. And even Galea- Galeano got in on that. Yeah, uh, well... <laughs> A couple of things that I, and I, I'd love to hear your, your comments on this because a few really cool notes. One is that um, 49, the 49As, so T49, has a very young calf, I, I think maybe eight months old. Yeah, first seen in the beginning of the year. Yeah, mm-hmm. so 49A6. And that calf is still nursing, um, you know, very small, small in air quotes, right? Because it's with well, its, its cute little underbite, very cute <laughs> underbite, and uh, that calf is right in the middle of the hunt, sticking really tight to mom. But it, it's counterintuitive. We would think like, hey, this is this is a dangerous activity. This this sea lion has really sharp teeth. It's got sharp claws. It's fighting for its life, right. and you have this eight month old right in the middle of the mix tucked in with mom i'm yeah fully fully in there um and it's funny we talked about the 124 a2s and fours just a a little bit ago but remember that stellar sea lion hunt we had in the spring um i think it was in 2019 i think it was 2019 it was right before we went went to monterey bay um but the 124 a's were on a stellar sea lion hunt and 124 a3 had just had her calf and it was probably two months old and he was right in there. Right in there. And like breaching on top of the sea lion and breaching and breaching and breaching. He probably breached a hundred times, I think. But um, I mean, I, they must be teaching like right from the beginning of, yeah. of how to hunt. Yep. Really, really fascinating. On the other side of the coin, um, for a, a decent part of the hunt, uh, 27-year-old uh, <laughs> Galliano T19B, and 49A3, an 11-year-old male, uh, the two of them were off, uh, not engaging in the hunt, but the two of them were off just playing like they were waiting waiting for dinner. Yeah, a couple of breaches here and there, tail slaps, like, hey, mom, um, I'm getting hungry, hungry. over here. <laughs> um, but we've seen that, I've seen that before on, on other hunts, and especially um, the one gray whale calf predation I witnessed uh, in 2014, where like the males were kind of peripheral to the hunt, doing this like... Uh, peck slapping, tail slapping, maybe an occasional breach, just like waiting for it to be over um, and for the feast to begin. But Galliano, I will give him credit on this hunt. He did get in there for one good lunch. He, he did. He, he It wasn't like he was gone the whole time. But it is interesting that, that it's not the first time I've seen 
uh, especially on a sea lion hunt where the adult males just kind of step aside for a little while. It's like they're, they're waiting for, I mean, the, you even said it. I mean, that hunt was led by the two moms, yeah. uh, T49A and, and T19. I mean, they were, they were clearly the ones in the middle for the entire time. Yeah. And, and who knows what happens below the surface. Maybe the males are more engaged than we think they are. But it doesn't seem like way. But the fe- the females are the the badasses. They're the ones really doing the heavy lifting. Yeah, and yet there are males that travel by themselves, so they have to like be able to hunt, right? We have these two two brothers, T sixty D and E, that have been you know kind of off on their own, and obviously they're they're eating, right? And 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 sixty five A five, he's off on his own eating, and seventy seven A, who we talked about in the last episode, he's almost always out on his own. And frequently eating. And frequently eating. <laughs> so it's not like they don't know, but it's, it's uh, you know, it's, I think they just like getting taken care of by mom. Well, who doesn't? <laughs> um, the other, the other thing that I found really interesting is oftentimes there wasn't a lot of action going on, but you knew where to look because you'd see the sea lion uh, at the surface trying yeah. to, to yep. catch his breath and splashing around. Uh, was most likely our, you know, beaten up and and injured, and the whales just kind of seemed to circle and slow down, like almost like they were taking a break. Uh, it's it's like it wasn't this constant, all in all the time. It's they'd go in, they'd pile on, they they'd you know ram him and and try and exhaust him, and then they would. It, it was almost like they would take a break. I don't know if they're assessing like. How much longer do we have? Or, uh, you know, let's, uh, this is a marathon. Let's, let's, you know. Grab a cup of water. <laughs> grab, yeah, grab, grab a cup of water. I mean, what, whatever they're doing. But it, it was interesting that there were times where the sea lion is, is thrashing around at the surface and the whales aren't very far away, but they didn't seem to be, there was no urgency that, that it's from watching it. Yeah. And at times like that too, you know, the, the adults were, doing what you said, like kind of circling around. And every once in a while you'd see like a smaller fin come up. And I, I do think like the kids were kind of like harassing him while that was happening, like not not fully engaged and, and all that. Because, you know, sea lion is a dangerous creature on its own right. But, you know, I would see T-49A4 uh, in there, um, you know, kind of given a quick swipe by the sea lion. And I almost wonder if they were just trying to like keep it from catching its breath or... Maybe it was injured and they, they can tell, like, obviously, if it's injured and they're just waiting for it to kind of, like, wear down. Yeah, I think maybe the, that high energy that we see very early on that's, that seems to be sustained over uh, a longer period of time, is maybe that is part of the, uh, the first injuries to the sea lion. And once, once they know they've got this in the bag, then they kind of slow down. The urgency isn't there. They, they don't think the sea lion is going to get away. Uh, they they put some kids in there to to hone their hunting skills. Yeah, they don't think the sea lion's going to get away, but that's what happened to the one twenty three. They got that, cocky. That just it's so funny that you said that because that's exactly what just popped into my head. This was twenty twenty, uh, spring of twenty twenty. Yeah, and we're in the thick of COVID, we were shut down. Yeah, and almost in the same exact area, we saw the T one twenty threes family of four. Uh, hunting a stellar sea lion. That hunt went on. We were out there for an hour and a half watching that. Yeah. And that sea lion got into shore. Got into shore. And 
and they didn't pursue him into shallow water and he he beached himself yeah and i do think like there's maybe whales that would have pursued them him closer to shore um but you know the t123s at least t123 and 123a have stranded before so uh, i wouldn't be surprised if there's you know some leeriness or some trauma ptsd lingering trauma from that you know absolutely what was fascinating about that was it was a sea lion that had been branded uh from one of the river from because he was eating salmon on one of the rivers and so it was a known sea lion and he was what 18 at the time yeah so the sea lion uh is actually i think i think this particular sea lion was actually branded because he would they were doing a long-term tracking okay um but he was 183r so if you're ever out with us and you see him because we still see him spoiler alert um he uh yeah was branded at six months old and was 18 at the time of the hunt and we saw him this spring yeah and that was so amazing was that that hunt went on for an hour and a half and it was brutal it was brutal um i do have video of that that i i can post and um what was amazing was we we thought for sure okay he got away he's on shore but Man, he's got to have serious internal injuries. He's mm-hmm. not going to make it through the night, and we still see him. Yeah, showed up again that fall. I know. <laughs> I think I saw him, and I was I texted you right away. One eight three hours back. He lived. <laughs> Maybe we'll we'll <laughs> see him this fall. Uh, and uh, yeah, I'll keep you posted on that. Well, I think I could talk about these whales all day. There's been so much going on out here. We could probably talk about it for hours more. But we have a really special guest. Yeah, we need to switch gears and talk about humpback North Atlantic whales, humpback North whales. Atlantic humpback whales, and seeing them on the Silver Bank, which is north of the Dominican Republic. Yeah, and before we we bring Gene in, um, we're looking forward to another trip out there in February. Yeah, we're going to be out there in February. Uh, I'm going to be out there for two weeks. Uh, you're going to be joining us for one week. Uh, it's a live aboard. Uh, out on the Silver Bank to see the North Atlantic humpbacks in their breeding and calving waters. It's a really special place. We're going to talk lots about that with Gene. Yeah. So let's welcome Gene to the show. All right. Well, welcome, Gene. We're happy to have you on the show. We're really excited to talk to you. We've um, wanted to have you on since we kind of thought of this podcast. So, so welcome. Well, thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here. I've been looking forward to it myself as well. So let's let's start out um, with um, there's a lot to unpack here. So let's start with Conscious Breath Adventures and uh, what what you guys do um, and what what your trips are all about. Uh, leaving out of Puerto Plata, Dominican Republic, and let's let I guess let's start with what is the Silver Bank? Where is it? Uh, probably a good good place to start. Okay. Um, well, what we do is run a very specialized kind of whale watching trip. Uh, it's not just a few hours. It's a week-long cruise, and we're on a liveaboard boat uh, 75 miles offshore on the Silver Bank, um, which is the largest breeding ground of the North Atlantic humpback whale. And it's also part of the uh, Sanctuary for the Marine Mammals of the Dominican Republic. So we head out there. To, uh, to see and encounter the, the humpbacks out there, not just to watch, but the primary goal, what, what brings people out there, um, besides the spectacular whale watching, is the opportunity to get in the water and snorkel with the whales 
and meet them eye to eye, face to face. It is an absolutely life-changing, incredible experience. I've, I've been out with you four times and, and we'll be out for a fifth uh, this coming season. Your season, when you're operating uh, out there, you're going out during the weeks that's kind of in the middle of the season when you would find humpbacks down there. Um, approximately when, like how long of a season is it for you and how long are the humpbacks down in the, in the breeding and calving waters? Right. So, uh, these are North Atlantic humpbacks, like the ones, same ones that you would see if you went whale watching off of Cape Cod or the Gulf of Maine. And in the summertime, they're up North feeding. And in the wintertime, they come down South to the Caribbean, the silver bank and vicinity, um, for their breeding season. Um, they probably start showing up down in, on the Silver Bank, I'm going to guess around the middle of December, and they're there uh, through April and into early May. Um, I can only guess on the ends there because that's not when I'm there. Um, our season is 10 or 11 weeks um, from the end of January until early April. So it's, it's the peak of the season there um, with a shoulder of activity on either side. Um, Dominican fishermen that are out there have reported seeing them uh, into May and also in December as well. So that's the time that they're there, uh, but we're just there for a much smaller period of time. That's 10 to 11 weeks right in the middle. And this is a a sanctuary, a marine mammal sanctuary. I think the Dominican Republic has done a a very admirable job of keeping this area protected for the whales, there's only there's you and there are two other operators, and that that's it. You you have to have a permit to do this. Uh, do you, do you want to talk a little bit about about that angle? Yeah, absolutely. Um, the and the Dominicans do get an awful lot of credit for establishing and maintaining the sanctuary as they have. So the sanctuary is was first established in I think it was 1986. Um, and it's been managed very successfully since then. Um, we operate uh, under permit that is issued by the Ministry of the Environment and Natural Resources there in the Dominican Republic. Um, uh, so they, for 30 years now, have limited the number of permits out there to just three. Uh, three commercial operators, Conscious Breath Adventures is one, um, running these week-long eco-tour trips, very specialized kind of trips. And then they also have a fourth permit um, for special circumstances, uh, research crews, film crews, educational conservation kind of special project uh, work that the Dominicans use um, conditionally like that. And they deserve a lot of credit for maintaining the sanctuary as they have. Um, there are other places in the world where people can go to swim with humpback whales, but the permitting is much more generous, I guess you could say. Um, and there's many more operators and the number of people, um, it's, it's a, it's a different scenario. So for us, uh, on the silver bank between the three operators, less than 700 people visit the silver bank every year, um, where some of the big whale watching boats up, say off of Cape Cod will carry 250 people in a morning. Um, and then they'll do it again in the afternoon. And so it's a, it's a very specialized 
very well managed situation there. And the Dominicans, people have approached them about uh, getting another permit, a fourth permit out there, or you know, trying to throw a little bit of money at them, thinking that would influence them. But they've been very steadfast and very progressive and, and have said no. And they've maintained it the way they have for a long time now. And they deserve a lot of credit for that. Absolutely. And it, I think it's one of the real special things about that trip is when you're out there, you don't you feel like you're the only ones there. Um, you really get a sense that and, and you really do feel you are in the world of the humpback whale. You're not part of, you, you know, you're not you're not in tourism. There aren't other people there. You don't see other people. You don't think about other people. You don't think about anything that's going on in the world that you came from, it is, you are completely immersed in their world and you, that's all you're really thinking about. Yeah, absolutely. Um, the, the three operators, we, uh, more relatively close together. So we're inside of each other, uh, just several hundred yards apart in the designated mooring area. But other than that, it's, uh, there's no islands, there's no, Sure, there's no shops, there's no internet, um, there's no cell phone service. Um, there's just uh, waves and whales, and and you are in their living room. Um, you can see whales any hour of the day or night. Um, you know, sometimes you can hear them sleeping near the boat at night in the dark. Um, sometimes you can just get up in the morning and go out on deck with your coffee and see some swimming by. Or, uh, you know, our favorites are the ones that show up during happy hour at sundown. Um, <laughs> yeah. You know, the ones, that, the ones that we refer to as the cocktail whales. And we always <laughs> give them a nice toast uh, before heading in for dinner. But, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing place to be there. You're just uh, uh, surrounded by an immersion in, in humpback whale energy the whole time. I, I, that you just sparked a memory for me from the, my very first trip uh out with you and I, I was down there with uh, some some people from bluevoice.org and, and Hardy Jones who first I think was our first connection with each other yeah. and it, it was and w- we love to, to kind of tell stories on here and share memorable moments and you just sparked this great memory of I think it was the first night at, at cocktail hour and everybody's on deck and there was a group uh, a competitive group of rowdy males after a female and they were just zigzagging between the three boats that were moored, and it was it was just this incredible collision of 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 cultures where we're we're on deck at the end of the day, and and you know I've got a martini in my hand, and and you've got six big male humpbacks pushing each other out of the way to have to to get the right to to spend some time with this female, and it was just it, this this. Just incredible, incredible memory I have. Yeah, it's it's a it's a great place, and and uh, you never know what you're going to see at any given time. So it's it's a it's very special. So how do you have any sense of about how many humpbacks migrate down to the to the Silver Bank specifically each each year? Well, my, my best understanding of it is that the North Atlantic population is doing relatively well, and there's something, different numbers that you see online as I research and, and study up on stuff, but maybe 12,000 North Atlantic humpbacks, and uh, 
in like 1999, there was a big multinational study um, that was conducted by the National Oceanographic and Atmospheric Administration, NOAA, and and some other um, uh, agencies. And it was called Yona, the Year of the North Atlantic Humpback. And they were actually out there for two two seasons, uh, tagging, photo IDing, doing genetic uh, studies, you know, with the biopsies that they would get, and et cetera. And one of their conclusions from that study, which was more than 20 years ago now, was that some three to 5,000 humpback whales visit the sanctuary as a whole, not just the Silver Bank, uh, but the sanctuary as a whole um, every year. And given that the population has been increasing two or three percent a year since then, um, you know, I would guess it's four to six or 5,000 is, is probably a pretty safe guess. Now, I should clarify, the, the sanctuary itself is tens of thousands of square miles. It's, it's quite large, um, extending north off the coast of the Dominican Republic, um, and it's a big, big area. But then there's three banks, shallower areas, bodies of water, um, uh, including the Silver Bank, which is several hundred square miles. So when I talk about the Silver Bank versus the sanctuary, that's the difference there. We're talking about a big submerged plateau that's several hundred square miles versus tens of thousands of square miles. Um, and then um, the, uh, the area that we operate, um, our radius out from our uh, mooring is only three or four, maybe five miles that we go from the mothership on any given day. Uh, we can have activity happening right next to the boat. Most everything happens within three, two, three miles. So we only cover a very, very, very small part of the sanctuary as a whole. Yeah. And I think just to clarify for some of our listeners who are going, what's a bank? Because I know that there's <laughs> going to be some people that are just not familiar with, with you know, whales and, and this. But um, it's a shallow plateau, as you said, and average depth, uh, like 30 to 50 feet or maybe a little bit more than that. No, there on the Silver Bank, the average depth of the of the bank as a whole is is probably it's it is eighty to a hundred feet. Okay, uh, but where we moor is behind the an extensive barrier reef, and that's what makes it a civilized place to be. <laughs> um, and there, the reef the reef comes up literally right to the surface of the water. Sure, um, and the depth of the water between the coral heads and such there is is fifty, forty, fifty, sixty feet. Um, but off the bank, if you go off the bank, it very quick, quickly drops down to seven, eight, ten thousand 10,000 feet. Um, between the bank and Puerto Plata, it, it goes down to 14,000 wow. feet. Yeah, just to kind of put that in perspective to people that are, you know, not as familiar with that. It's a yeah. huge change. And it, it sounds like the North Atlantic's or humpbacks are... are similarly situated to what we're seeing out here with uh, the Northeast Pacifics in terms of population growth and, 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 you know, an amazing comeback from near extinction during commercial whaling. I'm definitely seeing pictures and hearing stories about uh, the whales that you would see down in the silver bank. Uh, They're watching them now off of uh, off New York in, in the summertime. Yeah, definitely. Um, uh, off of off of New York, um, Cape Cod in vicinity, in Gulf of Maine, up into the Bay of Fundy. Um, it's not uh, unusual 
for whales to be sighted in, in both locations. We've had uh, a number of people who have uh, swum with a whale on the Silver Bank with us who then saw that same whale in its summer feeding ground that same summer, which <laughs> is really cool. Yeah, and I've, and I've been this close to having the same thing. Um, I live in Florida, so I don't see them in their summer feeding ground. It's a special trip for me to go there. But I was this close up in the Bay of Fundy to seeing um, a very well-known North Atlantic humpback called sockeye. And sockeye is, is like a rock star whale in the North Atlantic. He's, he's called sockeye because he's got this disfigured lower jaw that very much looks like the jaw of a sockeye salmon. And um, he's super gregarious. He will mug boats, highly interactive. People love him um, up, up in uh, New England and the northern waters because he interacts so successfully with, with whale watching boats. Very distinctive. And we've seen him down on the Silver Bank, eh, like every other year, every third year or so we see him and have had some really cool interactions with him too. And I almost saw him. I missed him by one day. Oh. Up in New England. I was, I was supposed to go out on a, on a trip with some friends up there and the weather wasn't very good. So we gave it a pass. And then, uh, when they got back to the doctor, like, you'll never guess who we saw. Wow. So, you know, I, I was sorry about that one. What, what a cool, cool thing to be able to see, uh, an individual in two places like that. Or to just miss it. And then or to just experience miss it, right? that disappointment. Yeah. Well, it'll, it, the opportunity will come around. Um, it's still I'm out sure, but. Yeah, it's still yeah. out there, that goal. So getting getting back to the Silver Bank and Conscious Breath Adventures, uh, you know, we've, we've talked about getting in the water and snorkeling uh, with, with humpbacks, and I'm sure people are kind of wondering how that works and what that's like. Can, can you kind of walk us through, and, and we're going to post links in our show notes to Conscious Breath Adventures, and I know you've got some incredible video but can you just walk us through what what is I mean Sarah and I both know because we've both been there, right. but would love to share with people what is what is it like uh, to ha- you know start to finish with with an in water encounter with humpback whales? Okay, so <clears throat> excuse me, a little bit of background. We um we spend a week offshore on our mothership, which is 115 feet long, and it accommodates 20 people in 10 rooms, right? And we have a crew. Uh, excellent captain, engineer, first mate, chef, deckhands. We've got a whole group, nine guys that work with us, me and my staff. And then we have two 25-foot uh, fiberglass skiffs. And so we live on the on the mothership. Uh, that transports us out there. And then we're on that. That's like our sort of hotel and restaurant. And then during the day, we go out on the skiffs. So half the guests will go on one skiff with me and a boat driver and the other half will go with another, you know, another staff. And, and we go off and we start milling around on the silver bank, just idling around looking. And usually we don't have to look too far for too long. Um, and then we spend a lot of time whale watching. Um, Cause I always tell the guests that um, there's an awful lot of whales out here, but most of them, we are not even going to think about trying to swim with um, because for us to have a good, interaction we have to find the appropriate whales engaging in appropriate behavior now any whale that's swimming or doing anything at all is going to be moving too fast for a bunch of clumsy terrestrial (laughs) mammals like ourselves even a very skilled swimmer you know forget about it 
So we spent a lot of time whale watching, and the whale watching is spectacular. The photographic opportunities, it's, you know, it's a great thing. Um, but when we find some whales that are resting, then we'll spend a bunch of time just observing, um, seeing are they moving, what's their breath cycle like, how long are they staying down for, what do they do when they come to the surface, how are they breathing, is it a you know, very relaxed, very calm, are they moving a lot, or you, know, you just spend a lot of time observing the behavior. And then if everything looks good, um, we'll be sort of narrating. I'll be telling people what I'm looking at, what I'm seeing and interpreting for them. And we'll all get ourselves ready. And we're just mass snorkel and fins. No scuba diving is it's not even permitted out there. And it would be counterproductive anyway. Mass snorkel fins in a wetsuit. We'll get ourselves ready. The first thing that we'll do is uh, the guide that'll be either me or my staff on the other boat will slip in the water. And when the whales dive down and we see where they're resting, where they've gone down, we'll slip in the water and swim quietly over to where we last saw them go down. And then we'll look for them, um, which is not always as easy as it sounds. <laughs> and then when we do see them, we'll stick our hand up in the air. Hey, I found the whales. Here they are. And then we'll give a whole bunch of different hand signals to the boat driver to approach them this direction or that and get people ready. And okay. And then we'll give a signal and everybody will get in the water quietly, quietly, slow, slow. I'm always coaching this, very important. And they'll slowly and quietly swim out towards where the guide is. And then they will just be floating on the surface. And these whales are down. You know, we try not to approach them when they're on the surface. We let them rest, you know, down in the water column. And then we're there floating, not exactly above them, but, you know, on the surface um, and looking at them. And then when it's time for their breath cycle, if we've picked some happy whales here, when they come up, they will interact with the swimmers. Um, sometimes they'll just have a look at you and slowly move a little ways and then settle back down. But sometimes they will be highly interactive. Um, and they're very, you know, very social, very interactive, very gregarious. And then you have, that's our goal is to have an interaction. Um, you know, we don't just like zoom up on a whale, jump overboard, you know, and then see a tail as it swims away that's not that's not how we do things it's not even allowed under the rules out there counterproductive we're looking for that thing where the whales approach us out of their innate curiosity and that's the most humbling part of the whole thing is when you have this animal 35 40 feet long as big as a school bus literally as big as a school bus coming up towards you and interacting with you of its own free will, it's a uh, it's that's the experience that 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 you've had and that uh, is what moves people so so incredibly. And so that's that's how we do it. Sometimes uh, it'll be a few minutes, but sometimes it'll be an hour that these whales will be around for us. And and it's um it's hard to put into words how incredibly powerful that experience is. I can definitely say that firsthand. It, it is. And it, and watching the process play out from the beginning um, until you're in the water, it is a very slow, respectful, methodical process. Uh, it's not just, you know, 10 people jumping off the side of a boat. It is a very, uh, you know, very well-coordinated, careful, thoughtful process. And, you know, a lot, a lot of, you know, a lot of the times it, I've seen you in the water and it's like the whales, these aren't, aren't good whales to swim with. It's not, this isn't going to pan out and you come back to the boat and then sometimes we get in the water and, uh, 
I do remember, I, I love this conversation because it's bringing back memories that I, <laughs> that have not been at the forefront of my mind, but I do remember being in the water with you on one of my trips and we were with a mom and a calf and, and a male escort and they were on their way back down, uh, to continue their resting. And we were, uh, we we were swimming in, in their, in the direction where they were going down and you were right in front of me and you turned and looked back at me and you pointed down. And I, I didn't know what I was t- looking down to see because I saw the mom and the calf way ahead of us. And I t- looked down and the male escort was on his side, maybe 15, 20 feet below us, looking straight up at us, swimming swimming by. And it was like, thank you, Gene. I would have totally missed that. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's uh, when you have those uh, situations like that where you have an escort. Um, and for those of you who aren't sure exactly what that is, if there's a mother and a calf, sometimes she will have a male whale that tags along. He's not the father. Um, he's not related in any way, except maybe coincidentally, I suppose it could happen. But he's hoping to have the opportunity to curry some favor and mate with her. Um, and so if you have a mom, calf, and an escort, sometimes the escort can be very curious and uh, you may not see him, but he hasn't gone away. So you always got to be looking around because they will sneak up behind or below when people are looking down at mom and 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 startle you quite significantly. So oh, it's yeah. uh, it's always it's always fun to see people uh, you know get get surprised that way. No, I on our on my only trip out so far. I'm so excited to come back um, in February. But we had that female. A hook in her calf and then the male escort for four days it was the same male and and I remember being in the water with them at one point and I saw the female and the calf and the female and the calf and suddenly I realized where's the escort and we turned and looked and he was yeah yeah looking at us from maybe 10 feet away on the other side of us and it was just like oh startling almost but so cool yeah, and I'll, I'll add, too, uh, of the four, what, what keeps me coming back is it, it's just like whale watching up here in that you never know what you're going to see, but it's never right. going to be the same as the last time. Exactly. And the, yeah. the last time we were down there with you, it was uncanny that the entire week that we were down there, no matter where we went, what direction, or, or whether it was the morning trip or the afternoon trip, every single in-water encounter ended up with the same mom, calf, and escort that entire week. We, I don't think we were in the water with any other whales, not by, not by our design whatsoever. It just turned out that every time we found whales that were agreeable to us being in the water with them, it was the same three. Yeah, you never do know exactly what's going to happen. And, and you nailed it right on the head. Um, no two weeks are the same. It's always, even, even for me and going out there as many years as I have, it's, it's, there's something different about every week and there's going to be something special that's kind of unique to that week. You just don't know what it's going to be until you actually go out there and and do it. Um, but it's, it's funny. We have folks that come out with us that are like, Oh, this is my once in a lifetime bucket list. I've wanted to do this. I'm, I'm going to, you know, I've, I've, my one time only, and I'm so happy to be out here to do it. And then at the uh, end of the week, they're like, so when do you have space next season? <laughs> and, um, and I've, and I've found that if people come out, uh, twice, they're very likely to come out a third or a fourth time because uh-huh. if they had a good time the first time that they want to come out again, 
the second time is so much different and still so good that they're like, well, that's how different it was two times. What's it going to be like on the third time? And and so there you go. And it, and it happens. It happens like that. And you know, it's, every week is different. Some some weeks there's maybe a little bit more activity than others. Um, and there's no way to predict that. It's the nature of you know weather and wildlife and everything else. But um, it's just being there 24 hours a day, sort of in their living room, like you said, that, that gives you those opportunities uh, to have something really memorable on any week. Well, and you you just described how I went through that that process. It, this my first trip. This was a bucket list, once in a lifetime opportunity. And then when, when it came, when I had such a great time and then I was talking to people about it and they're like, well, we should do that. I'm like, all right, let's go. And, and <laughs> then you see that how different it is the second time and it's, but it's just as great. And then it's, you're, then you're hooked. Yeah, absolutely. Gene, yeah. do you have any, yeah. uh, in all of your experience down there, do you have any like really just stand out uh, encounters or, or things that you've seen down there? It's, uh, I know, I, I know that's not an easy question. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not an easy question. And I, and I don't have any one particular, uh, answer to that. Um, but because it's that whole concept of you never know what you're going to see and everything is every week is different. Um, and so I mean, I've been very lucky. It's hard to believe how the time flies, um, to have, you know, been down there for 20 seasons I've been down there uh 15 uh, running conscious breath adventures prior to that I was working on one of the operators with one of the operators out there but um I don't I don't know it's it that just it's the it's not so much one experience but just the the vibe that is what when I think about it that really gets gets me is the whole very humbling you know what what are these animals thinking when they when they interact with you like they do? And the calves, okay, they're they're playful and curious, and they will come and interact with you. And they're like you know, fifteen hundred pound puppy dogs, you know, <laughs> they're just getting all excited. And um, uh, but when you have a full grown whale that comes up and and looks you in the eye and and interacts with you you just can't help but wonder why and, and what it's all about. So, and there's been some great examples of that, that we've had where, you know, where, uh, the one that's coming to my mind right now, one time we were watching some whales, uh, that were doing their breath cycle thing stationary. We're watching and waiting and timing them and, and looking, looking like a pretty good opportunity for a swim. And everybody's watching off the side of the boat, you know, very intently watching that patch of water where these whales went down. And then this whale popped up, like literally right next to the boat, blows right in front of us. All of a sudden, there's this huge spray, like literally in our noses. And there was this whale right there. And it was a female. And she stayed with the boat for like two hours. And um, we didn't get in at first because she was so close. But then we did. And she just was just laying there, rolling around, interacting with us. And again, it's, it's, it's the eye contact. Mm-hmm. Um, it's the eye contact. I I ask people frequently, regularly, when when they come down to the Silver Bank, when they come out with us, you know, what is what is your goal? What are you looking for? What is the experience you want to have this week? And almost always the answer is, I want to look a whale in the eye. 
Mm-hmm. And there's something about that connection, you know, that eye to eye connection. It's one of the most intimate connections that two living creatures can make is eye to eye contact. And so when that happens um, in a significant way like that, it, it just it just sort of rearranges things for you and how you think and feel about things. Well, yeah, it goes back to what you said. It, it's you, you just wonder what, what are they thinking? What's going through their mind? Um, and I, and I do want to just be clear to the listeners when we're talking about inter- interaction, this is all eye contact and, and, but there's no physical contact going on. Oh, r- right. Yeah. I, I'm, I should have specified that some time ago, but yes, <laughs> it's all, they can come close enough to look them in the eye and they can be, uh, 10 or 15 away for the, the calves. Um, the adults, they tend to stay a bit further off, but you know, you still get a really good look at them. Um, but yeah, there's, um, there's, there's none of that. It's all just vibing each other and looking at each other. And it's incredible. And having that, yeah, yeah. It, it's, it's an absolutely incredible experience. Sarah, you, so you were out on my last trip. Do you have any, any standout memories from that, that week that you want to share? Well, there were so many, Memories, because I, I remember, like, you kind of, like, leading me up to this, like, all right, we're going to go down the Silver Bank. It's really amazing. You're going to have a great time. And, and I mean, I tell people about that experience on the boat all the time. um And I think, like, I had this, you know, just from being up here, like, okay, we're going to get on the water, and we might view them from 50 yards. Like, maybe, you know, we're up here 100 yards from them, and I know they're big animals. And then we got in the water, and they're, like, 10 or 15 feet away, and they're really big animals and I knew they were huge, but they were very, very big. And I think probably, no, there's so many, but one of the ones that stands out to me is what Jean, what you were saying is the eye contact is the mom um, with her calf is like us getting in the water and, and her actually like looking us in the eye, but then going to sleep and like letting the baby just kind of be between her and us. And like how much trust does uh, an animal or anybody have to have to let you be there in her presence while she's sleeping and her baby is newborn baby is right there it is uh, is awake and rolling around <laughs> right yeah and yeah, no, it's it's a uh, it's it's just very hard to really express and and we're also uh, very fortunate on the on the few occasions like we have seen uh, calves nursing and that's wow. uh, pretty special treat that doesn't happen all that often um but to be able to witness it i mean they're nursing frequently during the day uh, we just don't see it all that often um and and so that's always special or you know i i would be remiss if i didn't mention the experience of swimming with a singing humpback whale Mm -hmm. um because you know we've got the whales are out there singing the male whales and um you put a hydrophone overboard um, during the lull in the action, and you can hear several or dozens or more than you can count um, singing whales out and about and around. Um, and if we're fortunate to get dialed in on one that's close and resting, because they usually sing stationary, usually. Um, and so they provide a good opportunity for us, and we can get in the water. And and you know, this is a song that's so powerful, it can travel dozens and dozens and, and you know, many, many miles. I'm not even exactly sure how far. I don't want to exaggerate too much, but a long way. And uh, and it's very powerful. And, you know, you can hear it from the deck of the boat before you even get in the water sometimes. But when you do get in the water, um, sound 
travels through water much more uh, powerfully and effectively than through air, and our bodies are mostly water. So the sound energy literally goes right through you. You're literally immersed in the song, and it'll vibrate the long bones in your arms or your legs, or you'll feel it vibrating your chest cavity, whatever your personal resonance frequency is. Um, (laughs) And that is also... um, just a peak peak experience for us out there too um and it's 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 a very special thing yeah well, i i've i think of my four weeks i think two or three times have been in in the water with the singer and just I, you talk about a, a humbling and awe-inspiring experience to hear it so clearly and feel it through your entire mm-hmm. body is it's there's nothing there, there, there are no words for it. Yeah, it's a very special experience, and sometimes you can anticipate that it's going to happen, but other times it's a complete surprise that that uh, oh hey, it's a singer, and 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 things just go from there. It's also one of those experiences that um, you know, you, you, if you're on board a trip and and we find a singer and you're getting in the water, it's not like oh I've done that before. Like I want to, I want to find something else <laughs> like that. That's a, that's a do that as many times as you possibly can type of experience. Yeah. That's, that's one where if, 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 uh, you know, the guests and, and my other, uh, guide are out in the other direction in the, in their skiff and, and they find a singer and Hey, we, we got a singer over here. They'll call on the radio. We stay in touch on the radio. You know, I'll, I'll, I'll drop almost anything, whatever we've got going on and, and head over that way for the chance to swim with the singer. It's a great mm-hmm. experience. Yeah. And there, there are still, uh, still experiences that I read about in your weekly newsletters that, uh, I have, yeah, I'm still out <laughs> wait, waiting, waiting to experience more of, of those and, and some new ones. Um, I will say, I do want to say this as well. Um, because we like, like sharing stories. One of my favorite experiences on board um and i i do this every every time i'm out with you is that very first morning after the overnight crossing out to the silver bank and you know the sun is just coming up and the boat the the mothership is just pulling onto the edge of the of the silver bank and we still have an hour or so to go to the mooring site grab a cup of coffee go up on deck and you just start seeing humpbacks all over the place and it's 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 hard to put into words what that's like, but it's like, that's the, the gateway. Like you've, you've entered the, their world and they're all around just doing their thing. And you're, you're weaving in and out through the, the, the reefs getting to the mooring, mooring site. And I, I will always make sure no matter, no matter how late I stay up the night before hanging out with friends, uh, we'll always be up at, at sunrise to, to catch those, those, the first whales and the, and the first, uh, the first sightings out there. Yeah. It's, it's always, uh, fun to be out there and see the first whale of the week. And it's also, uh, funny to be up there with the guests and, and the first sighting of a whale, you know, a mile away or however far it may be and the telephoto lenses and click, 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 you know, there it is. And, <laughs> and, and then, uh, and then, you know, by the third day of the week, um, there will be whales relatively close to the boat and, and people will uh, barely give it a second glance <laughs> because they're, they're like, oh, OK, I get it. I get it. It, it sort of readjusts the, 
the expectations a little bit. That is funny. Well, we're going to, um, we're going to post photos and, and some videos from some of our, our trips that we've done with you and, and definitely post, uh, links to your website and, and social media. So people know how to get in touch with you. And if any of our listeners are even remotely thinking about, uh, joining you on a tour, I will say that, uh, do it. they should do it because it is life changing, life changing and absolutely incredible experience. Yeah. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I honestly, it's like almost every trip I, I talk about, you know, the Silver Bank and and your operation down there and how life changing it was and that people should go. Well, and, and the education that we are able to share on, on our trips up here when we're with humpbacks, of it, it's an incredible amount of information that we were able to get, not just from the firsthand experience of seeing them in the water, but also the, the education that you're providing um, as well. It's, we, we have a lot of, of information that we're able to share firsthand because of our experience down there with you. Yeah. And, uh, and the educational component too is, is an, is an important aspect of, of, of our operation. Um, it's it, the, the experience is, is exciting and thrilling and an adventure and all that, but it's, there's a lot more to it. Um, than just, than just that we like to educate people and inform people and, and so, you know, the name of the company uh, illustrates some of, some of this. So Conscious Breath Adventures, you know, people are like, well, where's that come from? Well, cetaceans, which are whales and dolphins, porpoises, are conscious breathers. Um, they have to think about the breath that they take. Now, you and me, you and me um, our dogs, uh, most, most terrestrial mammals are unconscious breathers. We can go to sleep, which is a state of unconsciousness, keep breathing and wake up in the morning. But cetaceans, they have to think about it. So conscious breath adventures implies that, you know, I do adventures, I run trips that focus on conscious breathers, which is uh, true, especially the humpbacks. But there's a secondary meaning that I like much, much more because consciousness is another word for awareness. And we like to encourage people to be aware, individuals, personally, locally, globally, however it may be, but, you know, be conscious individuals, be, be aware of yourself and your place in the world. And breath is another word for inspire. When you take a breath, you've inspired a lungful of life giving oxygen. And then an adventure is what you have when you're out on the silver bank. And so when people have that adventure and they look a whale in the eye and they're so moved by, by the experience that they had, they're so humbled, they're wide open. And so once they are, um, inspired by that adventure, that's the time to raise the consciousness. So conscious breath adventures are adventures that inspire consciousness. And it's that secondary meaning to the, to the company name that, that I love so much. And I've literally had people that sign up to come out on a trip just because they like the name. And uh, it just came to me one day and, and I knew it was the right name at the time. I love that. love that a lot. Yeah, there's there's just nothing nothing like this. It is it is really a, a an awakening experience for sure. Well, Gene, thanks so much for joining us today, and I know um, we're so excited to be joining you in February, and I'm sure many more seasons to come. Yeah, I just got bummed out <laughs> realizing that it's that I'm after talking about this for the last forty five minutes. I'm now I'm like I'm so ready to go, and I just realized it's five months away. Oh, it'll, it'll be here five months goes by so quickly, so quickly. It'll, it won't be any time at all before you'll be there. 
Yeah, we're real, very excited about it. And I know we'll be there and be like, all right, now 2024, we're going to have to go back. Right, right, <laughs> right. I mean, well, I think uh, I think on every this year I'm doing two weeks because every year I've gone at the end of the trip, I've said I've always asked you like, hey, you don't happen to have any cancellations <laughs> for next week, do you? <laughs> you never know. But yeah, if going out for two weeks, if you're lucky enough to get to do it, it's a, it's a that'll be a, a, a first experience for you and, and, a, and a great thing to do as well. Yeah, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. Well, th- really appreciate it. And, and all, it's always great to, to catch up and talk to you, Gene. My pleasure, always. And it's good to see you, and I can't wait to see you in uh, 2023. All right. Well, what an awesome conversation with Gene about Conscious Breath Adventures. I think I learned something new, but I always do from Gene. And gosh, it was just so, like, got me pumped for being back out on the Silver Bank. I am I am very excited to, to get back out there. And after, you know, we're having these epic encounters here, but now I'm, like, thinking how excited I am to get back down to the Silver Bank. I know. I was just thinking we were talking, like, maybe taking, you know, doing every other year down there. And now I'm like, oh, I don't know. I, I think I might need to go back in 2024, and I'm not even there in 2023 yet. I know. we And we may do a special charter with uh, After the Breach. Uh, one of these years down on the silver bank. So stay tuned for that. And we're going to post lot, lots of cool stuff in the show notes, um, some videos and photos and all kinds of good stuff. Yeah. And guys really highly recommend going out with Gene. It's just, it, it, it is life changing. I mean, um, Jeff can tell you, I sat in the airport and cried after the store going home and came back and like started doing this full time. I mean, that that's how, meaningful it was to me. So I quit my corporate job of 11 years and decided that, you know, this was going to be my life. And that really sparked from that trip. That it was the same, same for me when I was down there in 2013, I think it was. And I was trying to figure out what, what I really wanted to do with my life. And I realized on that trip that being out on the water sharing whales with people, that was all I cared about. And I would do, and that's right there. That became a singular focus for me. And I think it was within a year I I was out here. Yeah. Yeah. I I mean, and what Gene was talking about and choosing the name conscious breath adventures and what that means to him. Like it is, it is an inspiration. Like every breath we draw in is like, you know, to inspire whether it's like just that lung full of air or talking with people or connecting people with these amazing animals. Um, you know, very few people, very small percentage of the human population have the privilege of seeing these whales in the wild. And it's just something that we connect with on such a meaningful level when we're out on the water and, and talking to people. So, um, you know, it's so important to me and to you. Absolutely. Life is never the same. And your outlook on the world and our role in the world is never the same once you've seen whales in the wild. Yeah, absolutely. Well, guys, it's been great. Um, It's been a wonderful episode. And hit us up on social media, Instagram, Facebook. Send Um, us an email. Yeah, shoot us an email if you have some topics you'd like to hear about. I've already had a few suggestions And we'll be back with you guys in a new episode of After the Breach very soon. Leave us reviews and we will talk to you on the next episode. Thank you. Thanks for listening, guys.